And uh, let's open our Bibles and turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, I believe we are still in. 1 John chapter 4. I find the older I get, my memories become vaguer and vaguer. I'm so grateful for a, a wife and kids who have good memories. At least they're better than mine. And uh, at least when they say things like, don't you remember that? I'm like, nope. And then they'll say things like, okay, I, ve- I vaguely know and remember enough that I'll grant you that it probably happened. Uh, but there are some things I remember. And I remember as a kid, uh, before I was saved, I remember the question being posed to me. I guess it's the proverbial question. Um, and I remember, the reason I remember it being posed to me is because I remember thinking, well... How can anyone know the answer to that? Understand, uh, I did not have a biblical foundation uh, of revelation. Um, But I wonder if you remember when this first question was first posed to you. It's one of those profound questions in life. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? You remember that? I, I remember, you know, I remember going through that in my mind. I'm like, well... Let's see. Now remember, again, if you're brought up with evolution and you're not sure about creation, how can you answer that? You know, but we know now, right? I don't have any more problems with that question. We know that God created man. God created the animals, created the trees, all mature. So what came first? The chicken, right? Fried chicken, right? Well, tonight I want to ask a question based on our text, um, message, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. I want to ask you a question, and in the same way, you really may not be able to answer this question unless you understand or you get information from God, divine revelation. And the question is this, which came first, your love for God or God's love for you? Now, there's a lot of people that pose with that question. They might say, I love God so much. And, and you know, I've just always loved Him. And I, can, I can hear people saying that, you know. I just always loved God. In which case, they might answer that. Well, you know, my love for God came first. And I'd have to say, really? See, we have... We have revelation. And it's important for us to realize that, and this is the very premise of Christianity. If you and I, if somebody's not going to agree on the starting point, really discussing and reasoning could be somewhat futile if it weren't for the fact that we have divine revelation given by the inspiration of God And so, I'm always reminded of Romans chapter 3, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? And the answer is, God forbid, meganoit, and no way. You know, let God be true and every man a liar. So whether someone believes it or not, God still, His word is still powerful. And that's, you know, always what we use. But, so let's talk about that. Which came first? My love for God. Maybe you grew up religious. Maybe you grew up, as some people will say, well, I've always believed in God. And maybe you would say, well, I, I, 
I think I loved God first. Well, the Bible sets that straight. I want you to look at 1 John chapter 4, because we're going to answer the question, which came first? Our love for God or his love for us? And the answer is found in verse 19, our first verse in the text. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love him because he first loved us. That sets it straight. If you believe in divine revelation, end of argument. You know, there it is. Uh, The only reason we love God is because he loved us first. So let me give you the outline. We're just going to follow these three verses, 19, 20, 21. First, we see the cause and the effect. We love him because he first loved us. The cause and the effect. Then we see verse 20, the effect not seen. Again, verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother... He is a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So that's someone saying that I love God, I have the effect, but it's not seen because of their love for others. And then finally, um, the, the cause multiplied. Verse 21, this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Let's bow in prayer. Father, help us tonight as we expound your word. Uh, help me with my struggles, with the allergies and my voice. Just uh, allow my voice to, to get through and not in any way distract from your word. Father, I pray tonight that it would all be about your word. That as I seek to honor you and rightfully divide the word, that you would use it in our hearts to draw us closer to you, to help us to marvel at your love for us and to understand it even deeper so that we will have a sense of security in your love. And for those, Father, that are not in the love of God, they've not gotten saved, they've not responded and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe they they don't even know that you love them, we pray tonight that you would show them. And we ask your blessing tonight on your word, in Jesus' name, amen. I've already mentioned that what we're doing is going through 1 John right now, chapter 4. And remember, what is chapter 4? The what, the what chapter? The love chapter of the Bible. Over and over and over again, this is all about love. And if you want to know, not just about love, but about the love of God, you've got to go to 1 John chapter 4. And so because it's just continually talking about love, we're going to go back uh, to some of the earlier verses in this chapter, because a lot of it is repetitive and As John expounds on love, it's going to bring us back to thoughts he's already shared. So we first look at the cause and the effect, verse 19. John states it very plainly, we love him because he first loved us. Now this is not new in the unfolding of the text here. He's already mentioned this truth in a different way. I want you to go back to the same chapter, chapter 4, and go back to verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So the origin of love is God. Verse 8, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And now verse 9 is one of those, remember one of those verses like John 3.16? It's one of those ones where God is screaming from the housetops, you want to know where my love is? is? Here it is. And this is one of them. Verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Are you doubting whether God loves you or not? Probably looking in the wrong place. 
And here it is. God is getting our attention. Saying, here it is. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because God, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Now look at verse 10. Because this is basically repeating, or verse 19 is repeating what He's already said here in verse 10. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. He's repeating the same thing. But it is so important that you and I understand that the reason we love God, we love Him, is because we're just so loving. No. We love Him because our hearts are so big. No. We love Him because He first loved us. That's it. That's why we love Him. It's so clear. I want to go back because in, in, when you talk about the love of God, there's so many aspects of God's love. God's love is demonstrated in His goodness. And so, if we're going to love one another, uh, we've got to be good to one another. Right? I mean, when, when someone is good to someone, someone is kind, someone is merciful, they're showing love. So for example, forgiveness. Charlie just talked about this in the Bible study last week, I believe it was. That is one of the ways that you and I demonstrate that we love someone by forgiving them. I want you to take your Bibles, keep your marker, keep your place here, and go to Matthew chapter 18. I think Charlie actually may have made reference to this in his Bible study. And I have certainly, I mean, we just this is one of those texts that you're going to go back to time and time and time again. I hope you never lose sight. In fact, if you've not had this drilled in your head, we're going to do that tonight, okay? We're going to drill it into your head. Because this, this is really an application of what John is talking about. We love God because He first loved us. And then the next thing is, we love other people. Because God first loved us. It all, it's all outflowing. It's all cause and effect. We have been receivers of such love that how can we but not give it to others? And it's so, talk about forgiveness. Look at first, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 18. And uh, Peter, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. And uh, Peter asks him, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? And then he says, seven times. And I imagine Peter's probably thinking, I don't know, maybe, maybe he was dealing with one of the other disciples and he had already forgiven him three times and he's thinking, all right, you got four more times. I don't know. But Jesus said unto him, no, not until, until seven times, but until seven times 70. I mean, you, you, know, you know the point, right? Just... Keep forgiving. Now what if that's a problem to some people? And it is. What if some people say, well, I don't know if I can forgive. So Jesus shares a story in verse 23. He says, therefore. So he's, continue, he's following up on this idea of forgiving someone over and over again. 
He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Let's talk about that for a minute. A talent is actually a weight, about 130 pounds, give or take. And when it comes to monetary units, the talent most often was referring to silver, but it was, it was weight. That's how they did it. it. It could also be gold. It could also be other precious metals. But a talent had to do with the weight. And uh, a talent, generally, one talent was uh, about 15 years worth of wages for a typical worker. Now, one talent. How big was this debt? 10,000 talents. So, it's about 150,000 years of labor, right? <laughs> you think this guy's going to pay it back? No. And this is the idea. It's not so much the specifics here. This is a comparative thing. And so he says he had owed 10,000 talents, for, but if for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. <laughs> First of all, I'd be like, okay, and how you plan on doing that? I'd like to see your payment plan. You know, 150,000, how are you going to do that? But... The, the master was merciful. Look at verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and cut the debt in half. No, he didn't. In fact, even if he cut it in half. Okay, let's see. Uh, 150,000 years. How about we cut that in half to 75,000? Oh, that's much easier, right? What? So what did he do? He loosed him and forgave him the debt. That is huge, is it not? And let's just let's just bask right there, folks, because in this little story, you and I are the ones that have been forgiven mega. Right? And so the let's just bask in that because it all goes back to that. Here's a guy that owed way more than he could have ever, ever paid. And when it came time to, to pay, he couldn't. All he could do was cry for mercy. That's all he could do. And he got mercy. But, verse 28, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. Let's talk about a pence. A pence, or in uh, Matthew 20, remember the parable of the vineyard workers? Uh, it's, it's translated there, a penny. It's the same, it's the Greek word denarii or denaris, plurals denarii. A pence or a penny or a denarii uh, was a small silver coin, and it was roughly, the, in fact, if you remember in Matthew 20, the penny was one day's wage. So this guy owed a hundred denarii. Which is not a, you know, earth shatter. I mean, it's it's not insignificant, but it's payable, right? If one denarii, one pen, pence, is a day's wage, then you know this could be paid off. But the point is not. The point here is uh, very clearly. This is challenging us. Uh, 
comparing, comparing relative values of debts owed. One had an insurmountable debt that could never be paid. The other one had a, a debt that could be paid. So this guy turns around and someone that owes him 100 pence lays hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Which is more realistic than what that guy could have done. But he would not. Now, if you're paying attention and you haven't fallen asleep when you're reading this, you're going to be incensed. And aren't you? I mean, when you read it, you're thinking, the audacity of this man who owed 150,000 years worth of labor and someone owes, you know, someone that owes him a debt of 100 days and he's been forgiven everything so jesus said at verse 30 he would not he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt so when his fellow servants saw what was done they were very sorry and came and told unto their lord all that was done then his lord after that he had called him said unto him O thou wicked servant i forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee, and his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors till, all should, till he should pay all that was due to him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now remember, this is in response to answering Peter's question about forgiveness, both the receiving and the giving of forgiveness. And it is reciprocal. You cannot have one without doing it, is the idea. This is not teaching a work salvation. This is challenging us regarding forgiving and being forgiven. We have been receivers of forgiveness, so now we are givers of forgiveness. In fact, Jesus' prayer, Charlie just went over this, Matthew 6, for if ye forgive men, if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father will forgive you. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. And again, the idea is, here's the idea. Because what we want to do is we want to now apply this to love. If you have a proper understanding of how much you've been forgiven, the only way you can do that is if you understand what a sinner you are. And if you understand what a holy God God is. See, God is so holy, folks, that if you and I understand our sin, we're dead. I mean, we, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed right now. But those of us, when, when we understand the debt and we understand what Jesus did in dying for our sins and the fact that God forgave us everything. If we let that settle in, we should never get over that. In fact, that should affect anybody. Remember, this is comparative. Who could ever sin against us as much as we have sinned against God. 
And by the way, there's probably some people listening to this right now that might say, oh, you don't know how badly I have been hurt. And I am not in any way minimalizing or trifling with things that people do to us that hurt. And some very horrible things have been done. But let's remember, this is reciprocal, folks. This is comparative in value. If you and I would just take some time to understand that we have sinned against a holy, infinitely perfect God in a way that merits severe wrath. By the way, let's back up for a minute. Have you ever seen yourself as someone that was worthy of judgment? I mean, real judgment. As in, the punishment of hell. There's a lot of people that haven't gotten to that point. A lot of people that would say, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm certainly not that bad. Really? You know, the Bible makes it very clear. In fact, the Bible's, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. If we got what we deserved, folks, we would burn in hell. And the only escape was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God dying on the cross. Our repentance and crying out in mercy for mercy so that He would save us. Just like this guy that cried out for mercy. And because of the love of God, He forgave us. Just like that. When I see a Christian struggling with forgiving someone, Again, I don't minimize it, but I realize that, and when I struggle with, with forgiving someone, I realize, okay, you know what, you're thinking a little too much and, and, and magnifying the offense against you. Time to go back to Calvary and magnify your offense against God. So we got to do every time. Again, look at, the, look at the parable. This is God's perspective. God's saying, in a sense, you owed me 150,000 years worth of labor, something you could never pay off. And now you're turning around, and in comparison, you're not forgiving someone for this trifle when I have forgiven you so much. So let's make the application to love. And our text here in 1 John chapter 4. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother... He's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? There's a saying the world uses, and it's actually a good saying. And in fact, when I think of this parable, you might hear this. Let's say you ever been to the grocery store, and uh, maybe the person right in front of you didn't have enough money for their items. Did you ever do this? And then you uh, offered to pay for him. Or maybe the person ahead of you paid for the person ahead of his or hers. And something generous happens. The person gives it. And the other person is so touched. And they, they express it. And here's the saying you'll hear a lot today. Uh, you know, oh, can I pay you back? Give me your number. I'll pay you back. No. They'll say, pay it forward. You ever hear that? Now, you know what that means, right? 
In other words, there's going to come a time down the road where you'll be in the position I'm in, and I remember what I did for you, and you pay it forward. You do something nice for someone else, thinking of this act of goodness that was done to you. Now, folks, I can't think of a better pay it forward than Calvary. Seriously. I mean, Jesus has given us this huge... He has poured his love out on us. And if we really understand the depths of that love, then, then our idea of paying it forward is, how can I not love my brother? God has loved me so very much. So let's jump down now, verse 20. Uh, cause and the effect. Then we have the effect not seen. Verse 20. If a man say, I love God... Hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother... Wait a minute, am I in the right text? Yes. He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And by the way, this, this kind of goes along with what he was saying just a little bit earlier in this chapter, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected. In us. If I jump down earlier, it's all about love. First John two, first John chapter two, verse seven. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye have from the beginning. Verse nine. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother. In other words, it's like he's saying, "Oh, I love God so much," but he's not showing that love. He's claiming that he has been a recipient of God's goodness and love and now he's and yet you and I we don't see that love so he goes on verse again verse 9 he that saith he is in light hateth his brother is in darkness even until now he that loveth his brother abideth in the light there's none occasion of stumbling in him but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath, hath blinded his eyes. I want to back up to a, a sermon I preached a couple Sunday mornings ago, maybe last Sunday, maybe Sunday before that, who knows. Uh, we're talking about manipulative people, toxic people, and it's this phrase that the world uses, and understand, we always got to sift things through the revelation of Scripture, this thing called gaslighting. I had never heard of it until about a year ago, and now it seems like it's everywhere. Probably because I said the word gaslighting in front of my iPad, and, and Siri heard it, and now everything's gaslighting. I, I, do you see stuff about gaslighting? Okay, see, it's just me. It's the, it's the government. <laughs> but again, what is gaslighting? Well, again, I mentioned it real quickly. Uh, it's it's thing, pe- things people, manipulative people do. Uh, and by the way, there's nothing new under the sun. And you and I need to be careful. Gaslighting is just a, a form of deception, and it's someone that is being deceived. But it goes back to a movie that came from a play. The movie came out in 1944, and um, it was called Gaslight. Here here was the story. Let me just share it with you. Um, Ten years after her aunt was murdered, a gal named Paula, um, in their London home, a woman returns from Italy in the 1880s to resume residence with her new husband. His obsessive interest in the home rises from a secret that may require driving his wife insane. So the whole movie is this guy uh, trying to drive his wife insane and, and claiming one of the big things is that the gaslight, you know, will dim uh, and he has it rigged 
so that she sees it dim and he denies it. Like, it's not dimming. Like, this is all in your head. And it's just one of the many forms of manipulation to get her to think that she's going crazy. And that's what gaslighting is. Gaslighting is, uh, it's an opportunity for you to manipulate someone else. It's an opportunity for you to avoid rebuke and, you know, reproof. Uh, when, when somebody gaslights, they will say things like, well, what are you talking about? And they'll constantly deny what you see as reality. And, and folks, by, by the way, the Bible makes it very clear that, and it avoids and protects us from deception. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety, right? Uh, how important it is. God has designed so that we get counsel from other people and get other people's perspective. And of course, we have the revelation of God's word. But there will be people who will deny reality. I shared last week, I guess it was, in the book of Malachi, Israel tries to do that with God. Now remember, God says, your priests profane my name. And the priest said, how have we profaned your name? And it just goes through. Uh, Malachi 1.7, you have polluted my altar. And the people of Israel go, how have we done that? Malachi 2.17, you have wearied me with your words. I'm like, what are you talking about? How have we done that? Matthew, or Malachi 3.8, uh, you have robbed me. What are you talking about? So, you know, it's like, uh, uh, trying to guess like God is pretty foolish, isn't it? You know, uh, and yet that shows you, you know, every way of man is right in his own eyes. It's so easy for us to be deceived. Now, let's bring this into the context of love and what we're talking about in First John. There's a lot of people, in fact, we talked about in Proverbs, he that hateth dissembleth with his lips. Remember what to dissemble means? It means to cover it up, to hide hatred with lying lips. In other words, there's going to be a lot of people that really do have hatred and animosity in their heart, but they're going to deny it. And, and it's like, that's what John's dealing with, isn't it? Because he's saying it over and over again. How can someone say he loves God and hates his brother? If you don't love your brother, then you haven't experienced the love of God. So imagine for a minute. Imagine someone trying to gaslight us under the scrutiny of 1 John chapter 2. Well, you know, the Bible says if you love God, you're going to love your brother and you've not really been showing the fruit of loving this person. What are you talking about? Can you imagine that? Because again, that's what he's dealing with. He's over and over again, he's saying, how can you say that you love God if you don't love your brother? You, you really are in darkness. By the way, let me back up. Probably a good time to answer this in light of this question. Are you a gaslighter? You know, I, I, as soon as I read any of these things, I always step back and think, okay, could I be guilty of this? Do you ever do that? I hope you do. And somebody asked me after my last message on gaslighting, how do I know if I'm a gaslighter? You are. No. How do you, how do you know? Well, the best way is to be open to counsel, right? Look at Matthew 18, multitude of counselors. And just listen to people that are trying to give you constructive criticism. 
Those are your best friends. You treat them like your enemies, you're going to lose the best support you have. The ability to grow, the ability to see your own mistakes. And so if you have you know, people in your life that are saying, you know, you're not being very loving toward this person, step back for a minute. Nobody likes to receive criticism. Nobody likes to be exposed for showing a lack of love. And yet, you and I need to have people that can tell us, you know, you really aren't very loving to that person. Last point, I want you to go to verse 21 now. The cause, we had the cause and the effect. We had the effect not seen, and now we have the cause multiplied. Verse 21, this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. Back to chapter, 1 John 3.14 basically says the same thing. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So the, the love of God, our challenge is if we love God because we have been recipients, then you and I are going to we're going to love others. Now let me, last couple of Wednesdays, two times, we went to James chapter 1. And I want to bring you back just in our mind for that. Where the, the word of God or the law is likened unto a mirror. Now Jane, I, I'm conscious that you don't know what it is to look in a mirror. And she brought that out. Uh, so again, I can't wait to be there when Jane gets to look in the mirror. Literally. But for the rest of us, we know that, you know, maybe it's better, you know, can't see yourself, I don't, you know. So you look in the mirror, and you get a, a clear represent, representation of who you are. And sometimes things need to be changed, right? Especially if it's something glaring that you didn't see. But John says, whoso, and I love this verse, for, uh, James rather, James one twenty five. Talk, he talks about looking into the, the mirror and then forgetting what matter of man you are. But he says, Verse 25, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And the more I thought on that text, I've always looked at that, I've always looked at it as, okay, the Bible is a mirror. The mirror is going to show my imperfections. I've got to spend time in the Word. So I can see when I need to fix my hair, my spiritual whatever, you know, and and I know that. And I've always looked at it as, okay, the reflective aspect of the mirror. The fact that the mirror shows you your faults and your, you you know, your blemishes. But this last time, the phrase that jumped out at me in James was, he looks into the perfect law of liberty. Now, when we talk about the law, and a lot of commentators comment on this. In fact, one commentator made made this point. He said, he finds there in a law, it is one of liberty and not slavery, life and not death. And then he says, although as he quotes an old commentator, observes, so this is us looking into the perfect law of liberty, contrasted, 
with the law of bondage. He said, not in contrast with the former law of bondage, but as viewed on the side of its being the law of the new life and birth with all its spontaneous and free development of obedience. I want you to get hold of that. Because this is a phrase, this has jumped out at me. When we look into the perfect law of liberty on this side of Calvary, again, we are looking, it is not in contrast with the former law of bondage, but it's viewed on the side of its being the law of the new life and birth with all its spontaneous and free development of obedience. In other words, folks, when you and I look into the Word today, I love that phrase, the spontaneous obedience. It's not condemnation, folks. We look into the mirror to grow in the Lord. I want to quote, in fact, you, you remember, how many of you have heard, you remember the name Alexis de Tocqueville? He was, a, I guess, a, a French citizen. Came to America, I think back in the uh, 18 or 1700s. He originally came to look and do a study on the American prison systems, if I remember. And he ended up going back and writing about America and all the things that, you know, as an outside objective person. And um, he mused about the secret of America's success. And he concluded, this was a summary of, of his findings, and then I'm going to read a quote from him. He concluded that it was her churches and spirituality that, that made America a light on a hill. He watched with great interest on Sundays when in every hamlet, village, and city, a large number of Americans found their way to church where they listened with favor to fiery expositions of Scripture. That was his observation of America. I, I think if he came back, eh, his observation would not be the same. But listen to what he said, and I'm going to quote from his writing now. He said, Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marking, mar marching in opposite directions. Do you get that? Spirit of religion... And the spirit of freedom, marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found that they were intimately united. Freedom sees religion as the companion of its struggle and triumphs, the cradle of its infancy, and the divine source of its rights. The Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive of the one without the other. That is awesome. So religion to us, and to America, historically at least, is one of freedom and liberty. So when we look into God's Word, and this, this is where I want you to realize if you are a child of God, in fact, we sang this. The reason I was asking for the first song, um, He Keeps Me Singing, blah, 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 let me, here we go. Verse 3, feasting on the riches of His grace, resting neath His sheltering wing, always looking on His smiling face. That is why I shout and sing. Are you always looking on the smiling face of a loving Savior? I've shared before that when I grew up, my dad, I, I inherited my dad's hair. I'm so grateful my dad's not bald. 
But my dad has super, super thick eyebrows. Uh, I've often joked when I go to the barbers that I'm going to have them cut my eyebrows so I can make a donation to Locks of Love. So you have to have like three inches of hair at least. So, um, But because my dad had really bushy eyebrows, and my dad, if you, my dad is the most jovial, happy-go-lucky, oh, I mean, just always smiling, always, you know, just a happy guy. That was his demeanor. But I remember as a kid, because of those bushy eyebrows, if my dad wasn't actively smiling, like just, if just he was thinking, because of those eyebrows, I thought, oh, no, dad's mad, you know. And I might say something like, or look at him like, are you, are you mad at me or something? And like, oh, no, you know, and then, and then you brighten up. But because of those eyebrows, you know. But I remember how important it was to me to see my dad smiling because it meant I'm not in trouble, you know. And that's how I remember him. Now, I've, uh, the reason I've shared that in the past is, now I got those big bushy eyebrows, and as I was growing up, when my kids were younger, they would several times, uh, if I wasn't smiling, they'd be looking at me and say, Daddy, is everything all right? And I'd realize, bushy eyebrows, Dad, and I'd smile. Yeah, of course, it's great, you know. Just They needed that. We need that, don't we? We need that. We need that loving approval. And I want to share with you a quote that I've read before from uh, one of the reformers. This was the guy that was primarily responsible for the Geneva Study Bible. And he's commenting, I believe, on on a section in Romans. I want you to listen to this, because this is what happens when you and I get saved. He says, Do you see how all our works are under the curse of the law if they are measured by the standard of the law? But... But how then would unhappy souls gird themselves eagerly if for a work for which they might expect to receive only a curse? You get that? Why would somebody begin to an attempt to gird themselves to work for something that only leads to judgment and a curse? He says, but... If freed from this severe requirement of the law, or rather from the entire rigor of the law, they hear themselves called with fatherly gentleness by God. They will cheerfully and with great eagerness answer and follow his leading. To sum it up, this bound, those bound by the yoke of the law are like servants assigned certain tasks uh, for each day by their masters. These servants think they have accomplished nothing and dare not appear before their masters unless they fulfill the exact measure of their tasks. But sons who are more generously and candidly treated by their fathers do not hesitate to offer them incomplete and half-done and even defective works, trusting that their obedience and readiness of mind will be accepted by their fathers even though they have not quite achieved what their fathers intended. Uh, you know, I've read that in the past many times. And as a parent, I've, I've realized you've got to lighten up. You know, you've got to show your, your kids that you love them. So he goes, such children ought we to be, firmly trusting that our services will be approved 
by their most merciful Father, however small, rude, and imperfect these may be. Got that? Such children ought we to be, firmly trusting that our services will be approved by their most merciful Father, however small, rude, and imperfect these may be. Remember, folks, the great debt that was forgiven? 150,000 years. I mean, we have been forgiven an unsurmountable amount. And how do we sing that again this, uh, right in the beginning of the service? Feasting on the riches of His grace, resting neath His sheltering wing, always looking on His smiling face. That is why I shout and sing, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. This week, give God your best. It's probably not going to be, it's not going to be perfection, is it? But you know what? You're looking up, and are you seeing a God with big, bushy eyebrows? <laughs> you know, are you looking at a loving Heavenly Father? That's our God. If you and I come dressed in Christ's righteousness, forgiven. It's awesome, isn't it? Let's bask in that this week. Father, help us tonight as we we are prone to allow the devil to torment us. And uh, Father, we're so grateful that you are so merciful. We're so grateful for your love. And Father, forgive us for getting offended when other people hurt us less than we have hurt you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to go back to Calvary and go back to that great debt that was forgiven. And Lord, that we would turn around and love others because of the great love wherewith we have been loved of you. Lord, help us. May others see Christ's love in us as we pay it forward. And we'll thank you, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take your hymn book.